Church, as we open the scriptures this morning, that is our desire, is that we would see the beauty of Christ, that we would see the sufficiency of the Lord of salvation, Jesus Christ. And so let me invite you to open up God's word with me today to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 27 today, looking at verses 9 through 21. And before we read that text in just a moment, uh, I want you to know that, that we've been trekking through this portion. You, you do know that we've been trekking through this portion of uh, God's Word, and it's been uh, detailed, it's been a bit meticulous, it's been uh, challenging, and I hope rewarding uh, as we seek to hear from uh, the Lord. And over the next couple Sundays, we're going to pause from this, so if you're sort of bogged down with the weight of Exodus, I hope you're not, but if you are, we're going we're to step back from it uh, the next two Sundays for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. We're going to look at uh, a Palm Sunday text next week, and then we're going to look at a text from uh, the New Testament letter of Hebrews on Easter Sunday. Day that uh, that references many of these themes and activities that we read about in Exodus and trying to understand them in light of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is our aim, certainly on Easter Sunday. That is our aim every time we gather and open the scriptures. We want to hear from the Lord and we want to make sense of his word. We want to hear his word in light of the full story, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after Easter, we'll press back into some uh, of these texts beginning in Exodus chapter 28. But this morning we're in chapter 27, and as you find your place there in the Bible, let me invite you, as is our practice here, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. We're hearing from the Lord. We want to hear from him, and so let's look at his word. Let's hear from him. Exodus 27, beginning in verse 9. God says, he says, make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side shall also be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. So south side, north side, 100 cubits long or about 150 feet. The text continues, verse 12. The west end of the tabernacle should be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases. On the east side toward the sunrise, the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long are to be on one side of the entrance with three posts and three bases. And curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. For the entrance to the courtyard... Provide a curtain 20 cubits long of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen. The work of an embroiderer with four posts and four bases. All the posts around the courtyard are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide with curtains of finely twisted linen of five cubits high and with bronze bases. All the other articles used in the service of the tabernacle, whatever their function, including all the tent pegs for it and those for the courtyard, are to be of bronze. Verse 20, God says, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that, so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening to morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Would you bow with me 
Father, we pause now and we ask you to guide us. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to be led by you. Father, we want to rightly understand you and respond to you. And so guide us now by the presence and power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So this morning, I want to begin uh, really with the end in mind. So I want us to see the picture here. We're going to pause here. I want us to see the picture, take in the picture uh, that Scripture paints concerning this tabernacle and the courtyard surrounding it. And then I want us to zoom out and seek to understand what is the key truth here in light of the broader story of God's Word. And then finally, I want us to press back in and consider some of the details here, highlighting timeless truths and their corresponding application for us as people of faith today. And so we want to, be, we want to see the picture here. We want to back up. We want to zoom out, see the big truth, and then press back in and see what it is that God may have for us today. So let's see uh, the picture. Let's remember the picture here of the tabernacle, the sanctuary, this portable tent of meeting that is in the courtyard. And so there we see the tent uh, that God tells Moses to tell the Israelites to build, a tent that's going to be divided up into uh, two portions, a most holy place, and a holy place. And then outside that tent, there's a courtyard with a bronze altar and uh, a fence surrounding it. And so remember that God has given particular instructions for the various furnishings that are going to go in this tent and in the courtyard. And we've looked at some of those. God begins with the most sacred object, so to speak, uh, in this courtyard and tabernacle. And that is the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place with Cherubim on top. This is a box with the Ten Commandments inside. Uh, it's an atonement cover made of pure gold. Cherubim above bowing in the presence of God. For this is where God is going to come down. He's going to descend and he is going to meet with the mediator. He's going to meet with Moses and eventually he's going to meet with the high priest. This is the most sacred part of the tabernacle. But then outside of that place, outside of the most holy place, uh, we read instructions about uh, the table of Presence with the table of the showbread, a table there in the holy place made of wood and covered with gold with uh, 12 loaves of bread continually on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is, in essence, God saying, I am the one who provides for you. Do not forget that I am your God and I have taken care of you and I will continue to take care of you. Depend on me for your daily provisions. Depend on me for life. Across on the other side of the room, the other side of the tent from the table of showbread, was the lampstand, the menorah. A lamp stand resembling a flowering tree, recalling the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, ultimately looking forward to, to, to the life, the tree of life in the new heavens and new earth. But but here are seven lamps on this lampstand, always to be lit, reminding the people that God is the giver of light and he is the giver of life. And then outside of this tent, in the courtyard, we see the altar. But there in the tent, you can see in this image, the tent divided up into two partitions, two places. One reserved for the high priest, the other reserved for other priests as they come in and tend to these things and the courtyard for the people and there in the courtyard we see the bronze altar between the entrance and the tabernacle standing between the worshipers and the presence of God was the altar of the tabernacle the bronze altar a place of continual 
sacrifice. And of course, all of these nestled in a larger courtyard. That's what we're reading about this morning. This courtyard, as we said previously, was 150 feet long by 75 uh, feet wide. It had a fence all the way around it, about seven and a half feet tall with 60 wooden pillars, a 30 foot wide entrance. The whole thing, to put that in perspective, the whole courtyard was more than 10,000 square feet. Think about four tennis courts side by side. And like the Garden of Eden, like the garden that we read about in the opening chapters of God's Word, the tabernacle entrance faced east, meaning the sun would shine on it at the start of the day. We don't know why God, we don't really know exactly why God said uh, to enter on the east side, but in a region where many folks worship the sun, this forced the people to turn their backs on the sun as they approached the sacrificial altar prominently displayed between them and the Lord's presence. Now this tabernacle would be positioned in a prominent place in the Israelite camp. All of this meant to be portable, move from place to place. When the Lord said go, they would pack up and they would take this with them and then they would set it back up in the center of camp, a prominent place in the center of camp. But in addition to its location, its beauty also conveyed that the Lord was to be the central focus of their devotion. And so the design you have gathered is meant to portray the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God. And notice the increasing beauty that's attached to the various parts the closer you get to the divine presence in the most holy place. And so all the furnishings inside of the tent are made of gold. With the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place with an atonement cover of pure gold. So the various parts and the various partitions of this sanctuary portrayed a movement from lesser metals, bronze, right? We even read here all the other things, even the tent pegs are to be made of bronze. Lesser metals to more costly metals, silver and then gold. But in addition to that, and hear this, the three main sections of this tabernacle Most holy place, and then the holy place, and then the courtyard are meant to separate three different kinds of worshipers. Only the high priest can enter the most holy place. The the other priests could enter the holy place, but the worshipers could only come into the courtyard. Why? As we've seen already, because sin separates us from God. Because of our sin, we, we cannot enter His courts except through sacrifice. Communion with God requires an atoning sacrifice. And so God says to His people, build an altar of sacrifice. And so church, as we zoom out, as we zoom out beyond the altar, as we zoom out a bit even beyond Sinai, as we zoom out beyond Exodus, hearing this particular story in light of the New Testament, we see We see and we hear and we learn that the meaning of the tabernacle and its furniture and every act connected with them found fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. And more specifically, we learn that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we may enter God's courts with praise. By the blood of our Savior, by the blood of Christ, We may enter God's courts. We may come into his courtyard. We may come into his presence with praise. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we no longer approach God's throne from the east side, bringing animals to the priest for slaughter on the bronze altar. Aren't you grateful that you didn't come up the hill this morning with bulls and goats in tow, leading them in, ready for slaughter, to be sacrificed in your place, in my place? We, we don't do this anymore. Praise God, we don't do that anymore. For the perfect and final lamb has already been slain on the altar of the cross. His death provides expiation, meaning removes the sin barrier between us and God. And propitiation, meaning that God turns uh, His wrath aside. His wrath is appeased, inviting us, inviting worshipers, not merely to stand outside the tent in the courtyard, but welcoming us to come in, to pass through even the holy place into the very presence of the Most High God. Bible says it this way, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. Let's draw near to Him. Let's draw near to Him with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Friends, Jesus tore the veil. Jesus has opened the way. His blood covers and cleanses us, inviting us to enter God's courts with praise. By the blood of Christ, we may enter God's courts with praise. I invite you to repeat after me. By the blood of Christ, we may enter God's courts with praise. Church, this is a privilege and an opportunity. It is an expression of God's grace that we do not deserve. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we may enter God's presence. We may come before the living God with praise. Now you perhaps know this, but the tabernacle, this tabernacle was later replaced by the temple. A more permanent structure, right? For God's presence in Jerusalem. In addition to the tabernacle's courtyard, Solomon's temple had two courts. And later, Herod's temple in the time of Christ had four courts. Now, these various courts were not part of God's instruction. Only only the priests could enter the innermost court. Male Israelites could come into the next. So only, not only was the, was the temple itself and inside the structure reserved for the priests, but even the first courtyard, once the temple is built, is reserved for the priests. The second courtyard is only for male Israelites. It's only for men, physical descendants of Abraham. The third courtyard was for the women, and the last courtyard was reserved for the Gentiles, for non-Jews. The various courts were separated, as you would imagine, by barriers, distinguishing who could enter the next place. In fact, Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said the wall that kept Gentiles out, had an inscription forbidding foreigners from passing on by penalty of death. Right, right, a sign saying, don't cross this line. Don't come any further. Don't pass here or you are risking your own life. But after the coming of Christ, after the ministry of Christ, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul would say there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, what? Saved. Everyone. 
doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the blood of Christ, we, Jews and Gentiles, may enter God's courts with praise. And elsewhere, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul announces that Jesus has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one. He's made these people that were formerly divided, he's made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus removed the barrier. Likewise, in Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So friends, because the blood of Christ invites us in, let's go in. Let's go and commune with God by faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ covers and cleanses all who turn to him in faith because the blood of Christ invites us in, calls us in, welcomes us into the divine presence of God. Let's be a people who commune with God by faith in Jesus Christ, whoever you are. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. May you commune with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Enjoy his presence Enjoy his provision, spend time with the Lord, read his word. Take him in, talk to him, confidently into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, drawing near to God with a sincere heart. Always acknowledging Christ's provision for you. Friends, the veil has been torn, the dividing wall has been destroyed, the veil has been torn, the way has been opened, the provision has been made. Commune with God by faith in Jesus Christ. But as you do, as you do, as we do, let's lean in a bit more. Let's hear what God was teaching his people about worship. There's a reason that the Bible spends so much time on these particular instructions and details. We no longer approach God through a portable sanctuary. We no longer come to the temple, a permanent temple, for the, but those Former provisions still remind us that God's people must prepare to meet with Him. God's people are to prepare to meet with Him. For the courtyard was a place of worship. It's a place of celebration. Passing from camp through the entrance and into the courtyard was about preparation. Worshiping the Lord requires preparation. God's people must prepare to meet with Him. How do we prepare to meet with Him? We focus on His glory. Focusing on God's glory. On who He is. Listen to what Alan Ross says about the courtyard. He writes, The courtyard is the place of worship for the people. They did not enter the tent, but they did enter His court. Here, the sacrifices were made, the choirs sang, the believers offered their praises, they had their sins forgiven, they came to pray, they appeared on the holy days and festivals, and they heard from God. A place to focus, a place to sing, a place to celebrate, a place to meet with God, and a place to approach the Lord 
through sacrifice. God's people must prepare to meet with him, focusing on his glory and approaching through sacrifice. Approaching the Lord through the substitutionary sacrifice. There in the center of the courtyard between the entrance of God's house stood the bronze altar, the altar of burnt offering, a place, as we've seen already, a place of continual sacrifice where the blood of animals was spilt. Allowing an innocent party to take the punishment due a guilty party. And God accepted the substitute, providing atonement through the shedding of blood. God's people must prepare to meet with him, focusing on his glory, approaching him through sacrifice and separating from the world. Separating from the world. God's courtyard was sacred because God met his people there. They left the world, so to speak, and went to God's house. We know this as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, as Christians. We don't go to the tabernacle. God no longer dwells in a sacred tent to which we are to go. Rather, this same God, the very same God who appeared to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, this same God dwells within his people by his spirit. And when his people gather for worship, whether that's in a cathedral, a brick and mortar sanctuary, a basement, a high rise, or a mud hut, they are gathering to meet with God. Friends, when we gather for worship, we are gathering to meet with the living God. And so like ancient Israel, we too are called to prepare to meet with them. Fixing our eyes, fixing our gaze on his glory by considering the character of the one that we are coming together to worship. And so let's be a people who take that to heart. Let's not waltz into this place on Sunday morning, simply scroll into Facebook. Let's not waltz into a worship gathering only thinking about football or March Madness or how your bracket is succeeding or failing or whatever it may be. But from the moment that we get dressed to the drive up the hill and through the entryway, may we invite the Spirit of God to occupy our minds with His glory and with His grace. Amen? And as we see the Lord's table, we see fresh flowers that remind us of new life. As we see a cross-shaped pulpit, as we gaze at the stained glass window, may we be reminded of Calvary and the shed blood of our Savior that invites us to come before Him. And may our regular gathering with a church family like this, a household of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, may it teach us that, that Christ calls us to be separate from the world recognizing that corporate worship is an activity of the redeemed. It's something that those who know him, who've experienced his grace, participate in. I'm not talking about Amish. I'm not talking about complete removal and separation from the world, but I'm talking about distinct living within it, with different priorities and practices, different speech and spending, gathering, giving, and forgiving. For like the psalmist, we know That when we were overwhelmed by sins, God, you forgave us. You forgave us our transgressions. We were consumed. We were overwhelmed. We recognized our sin. We were consumed with our sin. And God, you forgave us. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to what? To live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house. Of your holy temple, God. And so the gatekeepers, the gatekeepers at the temple would gather and they would invite the worshipers 
They would invite the worshipers to sing with them, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And they would say, I would rather... Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Church, don't miss. Let's not miss. Don't miss the desire of the saved. The desire of the redeemed. The desire of those who've experienced and know they have experienced the grace of the Almighty God. Don't miss the desire of the saved to gather and praise the Savior Together. Friends, God's people should want to praise Him with His people. God's people, those who've been saved by His grace, should want to praise Him and to do so in the company of the redeemed. Too often we act as if worship is about us, our fulfillment, and our entertainment when it's convenient and comfortable, but it's not about us, it's about Him. And what a joy, what a joy it is to praise the Almighty King who invites us to be His privileged people. So shout for joy, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And so enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts Praise, give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Church, by the blood of Christ, we may enter God's courts with praise. Christian, don't you want to praise him? Don't you want to praise him? Don't you want to give thanks to him? Don't you, don't you want to declare his greatness and his grace? Don't you want to praise him together with others who've also been redeemed. God's people should want to praise Him with His people. So let's gather joyfully with God's people. Let's gather joyfully. Again and again and again. Let's gather joyfully with God's people, just as we are this morning. Let's prioritize time with Him. Each of us certainly communing with God personally. Our faith in Jesus Christ and all of us gathering together as a family to praise the name of Christ. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. Encouraging one another and all the more. As you see the day, the day of Christ's return approaching. Friend, does that text describe your life? Does it describe your desire? Is it fitting for you? Christian, are you you clinging to the hope of Christ? Do you know the hope of Jesus Christ? Are you encouraging the body of Christ? Are you gathering with Believers in the name of Christ and are you eagerly awaiting the return of Christ? As we've surveyed the scripture this morning, I hope you hear, I hope you see, I hope you sense the God-given desire for the saved to worship the Savior 
in the company of the redeemed. I've said, we've said, if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. The last year has been quite wild, quite challenging. It was over a year ago now that we paused in-person gatherings, corporate gatherings, as a church family, as many churches. For 12 weeks, we did not meet together. And then we, of course, began slowly and carefully resuming gatherings and have continued to practice precautions and care, striving to gather in a right way for the glory of God and for the love of each other and the love of our neighbors. Praise God that we're able to come together. And looking back, I'm convinced in light of the present pandemic and the shift in our culture over the last number of years, I'm convinced that the Lord is using the combination of these two these two things to refine the worship of his people. To refining our worship. It's no longer advantageous or culturally appropriate or necessary to attend church, to be part of a gathering. God is refining the worship of his And Lord, may you refine, may, may we invite the spirit of the living God to refine our worship so that we know him and long for him and want more of him. And gather joyfully and encourage one another regularly as we anticipate the return of our Savior. We share the gospel eagerly because we know that He is worthy, because we know that He is good, because we know that He is enough. And so we long to hear from Him. What, what are you doing? What am I, what are we doing to ensure that we hear from God? Friends, the courtyard was a place to hear from God, a place to meet with Him, and a place to worship Him. As we look at the last portion of our text, the last portion, the last couple of verses of this chapter, we see that part of that worship, part of that praise meant ensuring that the lights of the tabernacle remained on. Right? Did you catch that? That, that the lamps on the lampstand always had plenty of oil to keep on burning, to burn all the time. A picture of God's presence and a constant reminder that true light is found in Him. And so God says to Moses, he says, tell the people, make sure that the people uh, make and bring plenty of olive oil, press clear olive oil as an offering to the Lord, and make sure the priests, Aaron and his descendants, use it to tend the lampstand day and night. If you want to read more about that, you can look at Leviticus 24. We don't have time to turn there this morning, but the oil symbolized the Spirit's presence, revealing the truth, and likewise, likewise, church, the same Lord calls us. He calls us to give generously to continue shining the light of Christ through his people. He calls us to give of ourselves, to give generously to continue shining the light of Christ through his people. To ensure that the the light, the way, God's way, access to God continues to be illumined. In the desert of Sinai, it was gold, silver, and bronze. We've read a lot about that. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, spices, incense, stones, gems, goat hair, ram skins, animal sacrifices, and now we see olive oil. So the Lord God might be known among the people in Moses' day and for generations to come. Today, we don't bring those sort of things very often, but today we are called to give our service and our time. We're called to give gifts 
and our money so that this local church may continue shining the light of Jesus Christ in this community and across this city, the city of Birmingham, and to the ends of the earth for generations, Lord willing, for generations to come. Friends, may we be a people who give generously and may we gather joyfully now and next week and on Easter Sunday and on the next Sunday until Christ our Savior calls us home because by God's grace we have come to know that by the blood of Christ we may enter God's courts with praise. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, that covers us, that cleanses us. Father, we thank you for this one who knew no sin and yet took our sin upon himself and in exchange gave us his righteousness. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus. Father, we thank you that the veil has been torn, that the way has been opened. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us by grace through faith in Jesus to be your children, to be your sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the Most High God with an inheritance in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. Father, we thank you. Fill us with joy. Move us to praise. Father, where we are running from you, where we are ignoring you, Father, where we are consumed with things lesser than you, Convict us and lead us to repent. And Father, may we celebrate Christ and life in Him. Father, we have gathered today to celebrate this, this life. Father, lead us to praise you, even now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.